get your Bibles out and turn to Luke chapter 24. Uh, as you know, last week, Easter Sunday, we started a new series called Resurrection Stories, and, and we are, uh, we're going to look in the scriptures and, and look at how Jesus interacted with people and how resurrection life changed them, how it changed their paradigm. It shifted their paradigm, the way they viewed life, the way they viewed reality. You know, last week, we, we spoke about how resurrection life reorients our own reality, and uh, when, when we come in contact with it and it releases faith for what is really possible, all right? And, and, and what we're talking about when we're talking about resurrection stories is we're talking about living in a kind of freedom that Jesus has for you and for me. We're going to do this for about seven weeks. Every week we're going to talk, we're going to look at the gospels, we're going to look at Jesus' interaction with people and how it freed them and how it freed them. And I think resurrection power is the secret to that freedom. And so we're going we're gonna to look at freedom. And, and if, you, if you go upstairs after the service and, and go around and look at the connect groups, there's going to be several connect groups that are just going to talk about this message because we're going we're gonna to try to zero in on some ideas to try to help us be people who live in freedom. I know a lot of people who believe in Jesus but are not free. I know a lot of people who are just trying to figure out who Jesus is. And if you're, that's you today and you're here, I want you to know you're welcome here. If you're trying to figure out the claims of Jesus and what this is all about, we, we want you to be here. and We want you to evaluate those claims. And we look to the Bible for the, really the story of God interacting with humanity. But, but we believe that, that there is a freedom that people who believe in Jesus get to walk in. Freedom from their past, freedom from their failures, freedom from the, the wounds and the hurts of the past, that light comes into the darkness and dispels it, that, that hope comes in and breaks the discouragement that we tend to live in. And this freedom is what we're called to. People, people, look at me. You're called to freedom. And if you have, if you have baggage, if you have stuff you've been carrying, we're going to go through this seven-week series, and then at the end of it, we're going to have something called a resurrection retreat, where we're going, to, we're going to pray for one another, we're going to teach a little bit, we're going to talk about how to walk in freedom a little bit more, and then we're going to pray over one another, and we're going to see people released into the freedom that God has called them to. It's resurrection power. It's resurrection life. And so I want you to sign up for that retreat. I want everybody who wants to to come to that thing, because there's a bunch of you who are walking, and you're carrying around a bunch of luggage, and you need to let that stuff go. And you need to walk freely in Jesus Christ. And so th this, is, this is what we're going to talk about today. The concept of freedom can seem so elusive. I mean, it, 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 sometimes it is really hard to wrap your brain around, especially if you've been wrestling with something for years and years and years. I think of the, uh, the businessman who's enslaved to success and greed, the, the young woman who's consumed by her need for acceptance. If you think about the husband who's imprisoned by lust and pornography, there's people who are consumed with these things. The young man who's enraged by anger and control, the teenager who bears the scars of unforgiveness because his family's divorced, the middle-aged mom who's bound by comparison and status. There is just no end to the chains that end up on people. Jesus wants to loosen the chains. He wants to change your way of thinking. 
about how life is supposed to work. Jesus himself said, so who the Son sets free is free indeed. If the Son sets you free, if Jesus himself sets you free, you can be free. But people get discouraged. People get consumed and they, and they need a paradigm shift. They need for something to happen. They need a revelation. So we're going to talk about a revelation that happened to two guys today, Luke 24. And if you look at it, you will see it's the day of the resurrection. And so we're going to talk to the road to Emmaus. The title of the message today is the road on the road to freedom, on the road to freedom. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that it gives light, it brings light into our lives and dispels the darkness. It's powerful, it's sharper than a double-edged sword, it pierces between soul and what is spirit. And so Lord, come and do your work in us. Speak to us. Lord, use the words that I say to speak your own words of life into people. We thank you for this and we receive it now in Jesus' name, amen. Let's start in verse 13 of chapter 24 of Luke. Luke the doctor, Luke the historian wrote, wrote an um, amazing book with lots of stories in it. Here's the, one of the final stories of his book. Verse 13 says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. This is resurrection day. This is the Sunday. About seven miles from Jerusalem. We got to remember that distance there. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. You got to ask yourself the question, what is Jesus doing? He comes up and walks beside them, and this is a question I think we ask in our own lives. What is Jesus doing? Is he doing anything? Jesus here keeps hidden. He keeps them from recognizing him. So verse 17, he says, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Kind of, you know those nosy people? <laughs> like you're having kind of a dialogue with a, you know, a friend and you're just kind of walking along and then somebody else comes up and horns their way in. That's Jesus right here. So what are you guys talking about? They stood still. They're walking. They're going along. They're walking. Suddenly, they their faces downcast, the Bible says. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor? <laughs> are you new? Are you a visitor here in Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? <laughs> Look what Jesus says. What things? <laughs> what things? He, says, he knows good and well what's happened. He says, what things? Tell me all about it. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over. Wow, handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. Verse 21, look at this. But we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped he was the Messiah. We had hoped he was the one who was going to make everything right. We had hoped he was the one that was going to overthrow this tyrannical government called the, the Romans <laughs> ruling over us. We'd hoped 
that this was, he was going to be the one who would accomplish our dreams, the dreams of our nation. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. And they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman, women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are. It's like, first he butts into their conversation. And he's like, you fools. How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ, meaning that's the name for the, the anointed one, have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So they're walking along and he starts to, starts to describe, here's what, here's what the, 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 the book of uh, Genesis says about the Messiah. Here's what the, here's what the prophets said about the Messiah and how he would come. Here's what the book of Psalms says about the prophet and who, what he would be and who he was and that he would be the son of the living God and that he would have to suffer. And he begins to un, 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 unfold for them everything that has been said in the scriptures about himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. <laughs> Why would you act like you're going further? All right, see you guys. All right, bye. I think sometimes Jesus is looking for a decision that we're going to make. He's waiting for a decision, and he'll give us an opportunity to make that decision. And here he gives, he gives these two disciples an opportunity to make a decision. Verse 29, they don't even know who he is really, but they've had this fabulous discussion. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, watch this, watch this. He took bread and he gave thanks. So he prayed over it and he broke it and then he began to give it to them. Watch, they've seen this before. They've seen this before. Verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. <laughs> He wrecked, they, they see him, they're like, you're him. <laughs> and he's gone. He's disappeared. What is Jesus doing? What is he doing to them? What is, what is he trying to accomplish with them? Watch what happens. Verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? What this is like, I kind of knew. Didn't you know? I kind of knew. As he was talking, it was like I felt something. But this is, I mean, he was, this was him. Verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Check this out. How many miles was it? Suddenly, they got up and just went back the, the other seven miles. I don't know when the last time you walked seven miles. Some of you need to. So, yeah. you walk some more miles. 
what I mean by that is some of you need to be more healthy. That's what I meant. We can edit that out of the video. Anyway, so, seven miles, and they get up, and they, 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 just, they just go back to seven miles. And these, these people, they didn't have Nikes. There was no sweet Brooks running shoes that they used with matching socks, all right? These, there's something, something's going on inside of them. Check, check this out. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, and there they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told them what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Just finish, finish out this little passage here. While they were still talking about this, so they're talking about it. Jesus, he's right, he's right there. He broke the bread, and then, and then, he's, and then we saw him, and he was like, boom, gone. And, and while they were still talking, the verse says, he showed up and stood right in front of them. <laughs> Listen, this Jesus, he, he's a real person. He has personality. He has a desire to know you and me. He wants a relationship because he's an actual person. He came... He came as 100% God and 100% man. He came from God. He is God, but he wants friendship with you and me. And so he stands among them and says, peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. They just said, we saw him. This is him. Now they think he's a ghost. This is the way it is often when we're going through something life-altering. It's very difficult to believe that Jesus is alive when you're facing cancer. There is a sense to which the difficulty of, of faith, of believing that Jesus is alive when you're losing your marriage, when you're wrestling through a, a job a missed opportunity, when you're wrestling through feeling as though you failed, there, there is this sense of, there's this sense of loss, there's this sense of reorienting your mind and your heart and your soul, not around this reality, but around the reality of the resurrected Christ who lives in you and who is with you. This is what they were having trouble with the reality they were experiencing, but the new reality that had come alive, the new reality that had been ushered into their world. Verse 38 says, he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Oh, if I could look at you and say, as Jesus said, why, why do you doubt and why, why are you so troubled? And I know, I, know, I know what this is like because I live it too. Things don't turn out like you think they should. And it troubles us. We live in a broken world and there is trouble. Jesus says, why are you so troubled? Why are you so afraid? There's something powerful going on here and you've got to see it. He says, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, they're just like, they're like, they're, like, <laughs> they're, they're touching him. He turns to him and said, do you got anything to eat around here? 
He wants to show them that this is reality, that there's a real thing happening, happening here. Verse 40, when he had said this, oh, I, sorry, verse 42, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you. Don't you hate it when Jesus says that? <laughs> I told you. And it usually happens like long after and you're looking backwards, you go, oh, Jesus told me this. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he, check this out. Take your pen, underline this verse. Ready? Here it is. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. These disciples knew the Old Testament. They had memorized great portions of the Torah and the Psalms. It's not that they didn't couldn't recite it, it's they didn't understand. And that requires a revelation. And Jesus is the revelation of God. Jesus is the revelation of who God is. That's what Paul says, actually, in Colossians. He says he is the image of the invisible God. He's the exact representation. Jesus reveals himself, and he reveals all of, that he is through, uh, uh, through the scriptures. And, and listen, that's why people, people try to read the scriptures, and, and they, try to, they try to get everything out of the scriptures. Look, the scriptures are awesome, but, but you can read the scriptures, and it just be empty. What you need is Jesus. What you have to have is a revelation of Christ in the scriptures. What are you saying, Pastor Ross? Are you saying I don't have to read the scriptures every day? No, I'm not saying that. I think it's a good habit. I think it's a good practice. But what you've got to get from the scriptures is a picture of Jesus. And only Jesus can open your mind to see how the scriptures are laid out in this incredible story, this resurrection story of God interacting with humanity. And so he says, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. He's telling them the gospel. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Jesus was telling them, look, I'm going to open your mind to the scriptures. I'm going to open your eyes to what is coming. And I want you to wait because there is a power coming on you. It is the same power, here's how Paul described it, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the power that's coming on you. This is what creates freedom in our lives. Three simple points, three easy, simple ideas. I want you to take them with you. Freedom is not the absence of something, but the presence of someone. These two guys on the road found freedom that they didn't know was already happening, already, already coming alive. He, he, they, they were kept from recognizing Jesus, but look, they, they, thought, they thought he wasn't there, but he was there. It, it's not the absence of something that we're trying to accomplish, but the presence of someone. Most people think of freedom from the perspective of bondage. If the prisoner thinks of freedom as the absence of bars, right, there's already a problem, right? Because the bars got there for a reason. And that reason is the lack of freedom. If we think of freedom as the absence of anger or depression or addiction, we're already stuck. Because the main reason, 
The main thing that the Bible teaches is very different from this. We think that freedom is the absence of bad habits or the absence of wrong thoughts or the absence of emotional states. If only we could get these things out of our lives, then we could be free. It's not true. The way the Bible defines freedom is Jesus comes to you and his presence comes into your life and he begins to set you free. Look at, look at your message notes, 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Wherever God's spirit is. This is what the two guys were saying after Jesus disappeared. They were like, didn't our hearts burn in us? We could sense there was something. That's the Holy Spirit. They were in the presence of God. Something was happening to them. This is what freedom is. If we're seeking the absence of things, then we're focused on getting things out instead of trying to get someone deeper into our lives. So we got to change our focus. You're, many of you may be familiar with Jesus saying in Matthew 6, 33, he said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you as well. You may know that scripture. This is, a, this is the secret to being free. If you seek the kingdom first, if you seek Jesus first, if you seek the spirit of Christ first in your life, then everything else kind of works itself out because life organizes itself around what you seek first. People often seek first relief from their problems. But if I seek first relief from depression, then depression becomes the very focus of my life. And I begin to organize my life around it. We all receive Christ into our hearts, but how far in is he? How deep are you willing to let him go? Some of you have been carrying around baggage for a long time from your history, your past. Brokenness. Failures that still poison you, still taint your psyche, still, still burden you. What is this? This is Jesus going deep enough to release you and free you from those things. I mean, when we come to Christ, I mean, the farther in he gets, this is the very de definition of freedom. When we come to Christ, sometimes we think we got we to gotta get cleaned up for him. We got to take care of our souls. That's not the gospel. The gospel message is he comes to you just the way you are. You don't fix yourself. You don't go through tons of counseling to get to where you can surrender to Jesus. No, you just surrender it all to him. All the mess, all the garbage, all the junk, all the poison. It just, you bring it to the cross and you just lay it out there. <laughs> That's it. That's the gospel. <laughs> and then he begins to start setting you free. He begins to, to go deeper into your heart and your soul. Freedom is not the absence of something. It's the presence of someone. Freedom comes from knowing that Jesus lives in me. Freedom comes from knowing that Jesus lives in us and believing it. Number two, Jesus is with me even though I may not recognize him. 
freedom often comes in through this process, stages. There is a, there is a journey of freedom. We want it to happen instantaneously like we get everything else, like we get internet and like we get, you know, cable and like, I just wait, if there's anything wrong with our cable or internet, we're so mad and we call everybody on the planet to try to get it fixed, like right now. <laughs> it's true. We are so impatient. Sometimes Jesus is hidden by discouragement and circumstances, woundedness, failures, history, fears, disappointment. Sometimes, hey, sometimes Jesus is just hiding himself, walking with you, letting you walk down this road a little further. Sometimes you're walking down a road that you shouldn't be walking down, and he'll just, he'll just gently be with you. It'll be hidden, but he'll be watching you. He'll let you, he'll let you walk as far as you want to go. People in, in the Luke 24 were trying to reorient their lives around this fantastic miracle. And it was hidden from them what was really happening. Jesus wants us to know the truth. This is what he said. And the truth will set you, make you free. That's what the Bible says. John 8, 31 and 32. It says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But here's the problem. Truth is not just a set of facts. If it was, all you'd have to do is just memorize the Bible and then it'd be over. It'd be done. You'd be free. It doesn't work that way. Truth is a person and the life of Christ comes into our lives. There is, no, there is a way that we know the truth. There is a way of knowing that can set us free. Now check this out. The Pharisees, the, the religious leaders... Here's what Jesus said to them in John 5, 39. He said, you think that by memorizing the scriptures, by studying the scriptures, you can receive eternal life. But you can't because the scriptures point to me. There is a way of knowing that's different. And it, and it comes to us through revelation. It's not just doctrine. It's not just correct facts. It sounds lofty, right? Like, like, like knowing, knowing the scriptures from God's point of view. That's what we're talking about. Knowing the scriptures from the work of the spirit. But check this out. You know what Paul said? Paul said that you and I actually have the mind of Christ. The, you know what I do? I look, <laughs> I look at the scriptures way too much through the mind of Ross rather than through the mind of Christ. My perspective is skewed by the mind of Ross rather than remembering that I have Christ living in me, that he is present in me. And even when I don't see him, it's called faith. I was talking to a guy recently, and we were talking about how hard it is to figure out our lives, right? You know, it seems like the older you get, the the more confusing it sort of gets sometimes. And, and you, you, <clears throat> you, when you're young, you kind of know it all. And the older you get, the less you know. And it's, 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 like, it's like trying to figure it out. I was like, if he would just, if God would just write it down for me. Like, just write down the plan. Like, write it down, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'll do that. I'll, I'll work the plan. I can work a plan. This, this whole thing of not knowing exactly what is going on, that's what bugs me. 
But you know what the problem is? You know what the problem is? God's number one desire for you is not obedience. <laughs> the Pharisees and religious leaders had obedience kind of down. What he wanted was their hearts. See, what he wants is intimacy with you and me. And what he wants is for us to live by faith. And if that's what he wants, he's never going to write it down, every little piece, and then let you work it out. He wants you dependent on him, and he wants you relating with him on an ongoing basis. Because what he's interested in is friendship and relationship and connectivity. Therefore, <laughs> we're going to have to keep moving around in the dark with a little flashlight. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I really want a giant lighthouse to shine miles out so I can see everything that's coming. But instead, Jesus hands me a flashlight. And I get to see the next few steps. Jesus is with me and I may not recognize him. And what I need is to, to allow the mind of Christ to take hold for his perspective to take over and a new revelation that may not change my circumstances. Hey, a new revelation may not change your circumstances, but it often sets us free because it changes us. And you see it when people are battling sickness and disease, when they're battling cancer. There's something that happens in them. Suddenly, they're free. You know what it is? It's Jesus coming to bear on this other reality. They have reoriented themselves to the new reality, and suddenly, they are free, even though even though they're still having to go through the process. My friend David DiDonato is walking this path right now. He's sitting right here. And it is amazing to watch him go through this process of seeing the reality of resurrection life and how it's influencing him to live here and now. You've got to believe Jesus is with us even when we don't recognize that he's here. Even when we don't see him, it's called faith. Suddenly, these two disciples on this road saw life differently. They saw the world differently, and the implications were staggering, which leads us to number three. A resurrection paradigm sets me free to do what I've never done before. To be free from all kinds of things that I've never been free from before. They had just walked these seven miles. They were hopeless. They were discouraged. They were tired. But a new paradigm completely energized them, completely changed them, and they ran the seven miles back to Jerusalem. This requires an acceptance. It's supernatural, right? It's supernatural. There's a, there's a spiritual dynamic going on inside of us, surging with life, but it requires the acceptance of an idea, and here it is. Jesus offers a freedom to want exactly what I need. Ugh. This is so hard to work out in real life. God will often give us what we need instead of what we want. As parents, don't we do this? Right? We, we, give, we, we, we don't give our kids what they want. We give them what they need. We know there's something better for them than what they actually want. So we try to challenge them. We, we teach them and we train them. We give them things to do that they don't want to do. We know that it's going to be better for them to eat green beans than ho-hos. <laughs> but they want ho-hos. 
They don't, they don't want green beans. But we know there's something better for them. They don't want to mow the yard, but we, need to know, we know they need to learn responsibility, how to get a job done. They don't want it. They don't want to do it. But we know there's something better. This is how God works with us. This is the human condition. The disciples thought Jesus was going to come and overthrow the Roman government. They thought that Jesus was going to set Israel once again at the top of the pyramid. They were going to conquer everyone. He was going to be the king. He, He was coming as the king, but it was different than they thought. They didn't didn't see how it was going to come. But you got to be convinced of this. 100% of the time, God will give us what we need. 100%. 100% of the time, God is interested in giving you what you need. Well, wait. What I I need is is to be healed. Oh, he has healing for you. But he's going to give you exactly what you need, not always exactly what you want. And that's a hard thing to live through. The question is, will we trust him? Will we open up to him? Our greatest struggle is the perspective of what we need and our understanding of what he's given us. God never leaves us stranded. He never just lets us go on without what we need. If we turn to him, it's our understanding of what we need. And often what we need isn't as fun as what we want. I take my kids to get shots. It's the worst thing ever. I make my wife do it. I can't, I can't do it. I did it a few times on the first call. I, I can't handle it. The look on their faces as they look at you and the pain that's going into their arm and they're looking at you like, what are you doing to me? You just hurt me. You handed me over to this weird guy who's sticking a sharp thing in me. I know it's going to be good for them. I know there's going to be something that will help them. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Here's what 1 Corinthians 2.14 says. It says, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. I want, you to, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to bow your heads and I want you to hold, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And we're going to come to the Lord's table right now. Put your stuff aside and I want, I want to pray for you. The table of the Lord is a sacred moment that we celebrate here at One Chapel and and it draws our attention back to Jesus himself. I want you to notice something. Listen to me. Listen to me clearly. The revelation of Christ happened in these stories that we've just read at a table around food, around provision. That's why in a moment I'm going to encourage you to go upstairs and connect to a group of people where you can share together in communion, and there's going to be a a sharing in a group of people. No one can experience and walk on this road to freedom alone. Jesus reveals himself to us in a community, and we've seen that today in Luke 24. And So I want, as you come to the table of the Lord, this is the bread that represents the body of Christ. It is the cup that represents the blood of Christ spilled for us. Forgiveness, 
healing, strength, provision, freedom here at the table.